This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. Imperial Majesty and perhaps Selassie the first towering figure on an international level it's within Africa and within Ethiopia. I started up an organization called uh, Selassie Stand Up and was very instrumental in getting a statue of His Imperial Majesty built within the African Union. Can you hear me? Can you hear yes, me? Yes, I can hear you. I can hear you. How are you? I'm very, very well. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. You're listening to Imperial Voice. This is In Our City. I'm Tulsi Bonileri. I'm William Heath. And our guest today is Neb Demesi, who joins us from far away. You're in Ohio today, Neb. I'm in Ohio today, yes. So you're in America. Do you, do you identify as sort of Ethiopian and American? How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, I consider myself um, Ethiopian-American. Um, my parents came to the United States in the early 70s, uh, 70, 71, through the American Field Service Program. They were great students. Um, so they came through, um, you know, the scholarship program and exchange program, stayed here for a year, returned to Ethiopia. Uh, my father returned in 71, 72, um, after Haida uh, Selassie University. Uh, it's now called Addis Ababa University. They changed the name was shut down due to political unrest. So he came back, he was accepted at MIT and Case Western Reserve University. He was previously in Ohio for his postgraduate high school program. So he kind of naturally drifted back to this area uh, and ended up uh, going to Case. They also gave him a, a better scholarship package. My mom worked for Ethiopian Airlines up to 1973 and uh, prior to the revolution, which resulted in Ethiopia becoming a socialist country and a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, turmoil uh, prior to that kind of um, developing, she uh, was able to come back to the United States and she joined my father and, and pursued her education here as well. So we were later born. I have a sister who's a couple years older than me. So yeah, we, we, we consider ourselves Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopian Americans. Um, so we have a strong sense of Ethiopian identity, but also having been born and raised here, we're, we're equally American as well. I mean, listening to you, I'm just kind of trying to um, sort of digest the, the various things that you've um, kind of thrown in. You mentioned the fact that you are um, both Ethiopian and um, American. Do you keep in touch with a lot of your um, Ethiopian family? Do you, is there the larger circle? Are you still a unit? Yeah, we very much so. Um, so I think my experience is probably different from most Ethiopians that were born and raised in, you know, in the diaspora. Um, my father was very engaged uh, in cultural, social related matters um, from, from the time he was very young, even within Ethiopia as well. 
so I think through that experience and also my own personal experience, having, you know, traveled to Ethiopia um, several times uh, from the time I was very young uh, up to now has also provided me with um, a more in-depth understanding of the, of the culture and the history. I think also, um, you know, I engage uh, a lot within various organizations. I started up an organization myself called uh, Selassie Stand Up and was very instrumental in getting a statue of his Imperial Majesty Emperor Selassie, who's the 225th direct descendant of King Solomon and Queen Sheba built within the African Union. We want and to talk so, to you a lot more about that, Ned. That's that's part two of our interview. Okay. <laughs> we, want, sure. we, want, we want that in detail. We're, we're, yeah, we're very interested in, in, in I suppose, the, the diaspora and how it manifests, because as I understand it, there wasn't really a diaspora before 1973, but then afterwards, for very good reasons, there was. There is an Ethiopian diaspora in, in Bristol and in London. And in a way, we're we're trying to reconnect with it because of this particular project that we're stewards of, which is the legacy of his Imperial Majesty to our community. He, he left us a house very generously. Right. We think that house is, is, is in a way like a portal where our community can connect with uh, Ethiopians, other people of African descent, the, the devout followers of his Imperial Majesty who, who are numerous and enthusiastic. So we're, 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 and we find the diaspora in the UK seems to be changing and evolving. Are you finding that in America as well? Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I think initially the, the Ethiopians who came here, um, there were some that came as early as the fifties, very few number, mostly on scholarships sent by the emperor, you know, to the UK, to America, to gain an education, return to the country and help uh, with the development process. I think, the change in uh, power and the subsequent um, revolution that, that, that transpired basically resulted in many people staying within the country, staying within the countries that they actually um, you know, immigrated to, um, even though that wasn't the, the initial intent. So I think you know, subsequent generations um, for many years weren't really allowed to go back to Ethiopia, particularly those who were sent abroad um, just for fear of persecution, imprisonment, they kind of started up new lives, had children, and and uh, you know, and, and integrated uh, in, the, in the respective countries that they were in. Um, but I also see that there is a strong attachment and connectivity to uh, Ethiopia um, amongst many Ethiopians, and I would assume that's also the same with other um, immigrant populations for second generations as well. Um, and so that's very much extent within Ethiopia, given a very strong sense of community, um, you know, a profound understanding of, of history and culture for, for those of us who, who kind of, um, you know, are keen on that. So uh, I would say that we're very much engaged. So what we observe is, is a, um, a sort of professionally self-confident, intellectually self-confident diaspora, a sense that the Ethiopian people living among us rise above any notion of racism just because of self-confidence and a sense of belonging and being happy and an entitlement and, and egality. I was dropped, Tosin wasn't able to join us, but I was dropped last Tuesday into, into the, a sort of complex diaspora event. We had this thing called a race to Adwa, which was an initiative of the Ethiopian community in Britain to raise funds with a virtual fun run of 860 kilometers representing the distance from Addis to um, Adwa as part of the commemoration of the 125th anniversary of the uh, of the battle there 
And I, I have to say, first of all, it overran by about an hour and a half. And I was just exhausted <laughs> by the end of it because it was so complex and the, the different threads and, you know, one person would praise an alphabet and somebody else would point out to me that this was essentially the basis of a civil war in the country at the moment. The complexity, the division, but what, what we see from the gift of the emperor is essentially a, a unified Ethiopia of incredible diversity of faiths and languages and affiliations, um, an energy which the rest of Africa looks to uh, very strongly. But I mean, it is roughly the 125th anniversary. W are you celebrating the Adwa anniversary in America? Are you? Are you um, yes. What are you yes. doing to mark it? And would you explain for our listeners, uh, in your own words, why it's such an important event? Sure, absolutely. So, so, um, so Adwa, the Battle of Adwa basically was the, the, the last battle uh, that ended up in the decisive victory of, of Ethiopia uh, under uh, the then Emperor Milut II, uh, who defeated uh, the Italian uh, colonial uh, invading army. Uh, and it was really the first decisive victory of uh, an African country over a European one. Um, and that happened in 1896. In fact, very interestingly, it really served as the basis and inspiration for Pan-Africanism um, subsequent to the victory in 1896 and 1897. Um, African-American intellectuals, um, even throughout the Caribbean, uh, helped coin the term Pan-Africanism. It was coined in 1897 uh, by W.B. Du Bois and, and, and African-Americans in, 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 in Harvard. Um, in 1900, actually in London, the first uh, Pan-African organization uh, meeting or organization uh, was, was organized by Henry Sylvester Williams um, of Caribbean descent um, in which Emperor Mindelik was represented through a proxy. And so it really serves as um, the basis and inspiration for, for Pan-Africanism, African unity. Um, it's a symbol of freedom, um, equality, and justice uh, for many of us. Um, so in the diaspora, we, we celebrated on a yearly basis uh, the Crown Council of Ethiopia, which is um, run by His Imperial Highness, Prince Hermias Sadis Lassi, on an annual basis. Our patron, patron of Fairfield House, I'm happy to say, by the way. Yep. Yes, yes. Um, so it, it, we, there's a very um, uh, lavish uh, celebration we do on an annual basis, unfortunately, because of COVID uh, and the travel restrictions. Um, it's been postponed, but something is actually in the works uh, uh, next week on a smaller scale to, to pay tribute um, and, and homage to, to our ancestors who, who participated in the war and, and helped uh, you know, lead, lead Ethiopian troops into victory. Well, I'd like to sort of challenge um, what William has said um, insofar as he said, you know, uh, a lot of Africans admire uh, Ethiopians. I think that would be a, um, a complete misrepresentation. I think the fact that quite often Ethiopians separate themselves, you don't, they don't, it, it's very much something I've heard from several Ethiopians who do not see themselves as being black and quite openly say it. And I think maybe when they move to the West and to um, uh, an outside of Ethiopia, they begin to see themselves through the lenses that maybe the rest of the world sees them because primarily they see themselves as being almost a separate, uh, different from white, different from um, Negro um, and being sort of special. The, in many ways, the way the emperor himself believed in the African Union is so totally alien 
to how a lot of people, Ethiopians, particularly Ethiopians within Ethiopia, seem to. So he's actually, um, as an, as a person, quite at variance with his um, with his people. So while in many ways we can admire what he did, it's very hard to admire and to feel any allegiances or any um, relationships really developing with Ethiopia because it keeps itself separate. What, what do you say? Well, I, I think Ethiopia has a unique experience, right? I mean, it's, it's really the only country in Africa that was never colonized, right? Um, you know, there's Liberia, but then you, you kind of look at how Liberia was formed. Um, Ethiopia truly is an anomaly. And I think its unique history and, and experience um, speaks to that, you know, but it, its existence also provided hope for um, colonized people throughout Africa, where, you know, there was Ethiopia, you know, and um, I, I think it's also important to, to understand the role of um, uh, the West in terms of creating um, uh, racial hierarchies, right? Because right after the, the victory of the Battle of Adwa, um, and Pramilik, who, who probably is darker than, than, than yourself, right? Uh, clearly a black person was portrayed as, as um, being uh, a Caucasian. I mean, his image was actually, um, there were, you know, it was lightened up. He was, you know, uh, looked at because how can you have a black African nation defeat um, a European power? Um, but I think to your point, you know, um, the emperors, uh, those in, in diplomatic circles who have to, engage and interface with other countries and people from other countries more so than the average Joe, so to speak, um, understand the racial biases that exist more so than the people. I can tell you a personal story. When my dad first came to this country um, in 1970, he, uh, he, even though he was aware of, of because through reading of, of some of the, the racism that exists in the United States, he wasn't able to internalize it because he didn't he didn't really implicate himself in that racial, this oppressed versus the oppressed mentality, right? Oppressor versus oppressed mentality. It, it, I mean, Ethiopia is, is, you know, I mean, right up to 1974, Ethiopia had the longest ruling dynasty, right? Tracing its roots all the way back for thousands of years. So this notion that that we were inferior was 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 foreign to to Ethiopians, and I, I believe it still is in in, in many regards. Um, and so he was taken to a pool party, and when he first arrived, uh, people were shocked. He was the only black person in this pool party, and they all shun away and swam to the, the opposite end. And he got into the pool, and by the time he swam and reached them, they were all out of the pool. He looked up, and everyone was out. And he said at that point, he thought they got out of the pool out of deference, out of respect for him because he was such a great swimmer. This is a true story. And so he said he tried to impress them even more and he was swimming so fast. And, and that's what he thought. He thought this was like a grand royal, you know, sort of, you know, we, you know we're not worthy to be in the same pool as, as you. And it was later that he actually realized that it was because he was, he was a black person. So that's a fantastic uh, story. <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing. I mean, you know, and, and that was truly how he felt. And many uh, Ethiopians, you know, they were, especially in the early 70s when they were going to restaurants, sometimes they weren't served on time. They never realized it was because they were being perceived as being inferior. It just, it just, couldn't, it just couldn't happen, right? 
Well, but how was what? But important thing. Um, well, my take from that is that the alliances and allegiances that or, or that, that you wanted you want to start creating with other black communities around the world is something that's very new and uh, almost imposed upon you rather than something that is natural and you know uh, do, do you understand where I'm coming from sure. yes I mean I think I think language also has to do with it. language and culture right I mean a lot of these other colonized countries like whether you're looking at you know whether it's the, the, you know, the Caribbean um, you know um, or, or even really in Africa you look at Ghana you look at Nigeria even outside of Africa you look at India right I mean Ethiopia has its only country with its own written language. So I think the ability to actually communicate um, also creates a barrier. Um, and, and Ethiopians generally preserve their independence um, by being insular. I mean, they were somewhat actually forced to be more, to be insular because Ethiopia in many regards was defined by what the rest of Africa wasn't, right? I mean, the rest of Africa was, was colonized, Ethiopia wasn't, its borders, you know, probably expanded beyond what what, what current day Ethiopia looks like um, back then, but it was also defined um, by what the rest of Africa was in. And so I think that also creates a very insular um, uh, sort of dynamic where Ethiopians weren't uh, afforded uh, with that, that experience. It's a sort of, um, it wasn't a necessity per se, whether it's for survival, for, um, you know, uh, overcoming uh, adversity, uh, Ethiopians lived amongst other Ethiopians. So this dichotomy of black, white, it didn't really exist in Ethiopia. Everyone was Ethiopian. Everyone was, 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 was black. Everyone was African. Um, there wasn't a need to sort of uh, delve further into these, these racial dynamics. So I'm really new to this and I'm, okay. I'm learning from a sort of pitifully low base. And it's fair pushback, Tozin, but it does seem to me, I mean, the Battle of Adva was 125 years ago. It's not new. In the West, we don't really understand about it yet. I mean, I understand it was described not just as a defeat for Italy, but a defeat for all of Europe. And read, I'm just reading Asfawasan, um, Asarati's book. I don't know if you know it now, but we're, we're talking to him next week. So we're doing our homework. Oh, great. <laughs> um, but I mean, he, he describes Ethiopia's role and particularly Haile Selassie's role in the freedom struggle from colonialism and how they trained Nelson Mandela, trained him in, in, in warfare and so forth how Mandela described meeting Haile Selassie as shaking the hand of history. And I think, um, I mean, we're gonna to come to your work on the, the, the Selassie stand-up, but it does seem that his role as the father of Africa and the statue outside the African Union suggests that there is a broad adoption in Africa of, of his uh, iconic role in, in resistance and independence and identity. But let's come to your first track. Now, your first track praises uh, Emperor Menelik and Empress Tetu. Give us the background of, on that. Sure. Um, so, Emperor, Empress Tetu was the wife of uh, Emperor Menelik. Um, and in fact, she was also very instrumental in, um, in, in, in sort of revealing that the Uchali Treaty, which was actually signed by Ethiopia, um, the Amharic version that was, that was written varied from what was written in Italian. And in fact, um, one of the provisions stated that Ethiopia, all diplomatic and foreign relations would be done through the Italian government. The Amharic version, so it's, it's essentially made Ethiopia protectorate of, of Italy. The Amharic version said Italy would have, Ethiopia would have 
the, the, the option to exercise using Italy in, 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 in such uh, international relations. And so they such were able to- Such a cheap trick, isn't it? Such a cheap trick. It was a trick. Right, Two versions, you know, honestly, bloody Italians. What are they like? <laughs> <laughs> right, and so, so basically impressed, I too said, you know, she, she said, we could, we're going to rip this treaty up, uh, essentially. And, and, and then there was an Italian delegate um, who they were um, corresponding with. And they realized they, they knew, they basically knew what was up. And they said, okay, this is an attempt to sort of you know, try to colonize Ethiopia. And that kind of led to the, to the war. Um, and they led Ethiopian troops. They galvanized Ethiopian troops, uh, unified them, and went marching all the way from, from Addis Ababa all the way to, to the northern part of the country. Uh, where they uh, where they defeated the Italians, and so the song basically uh, pays homage to permanent the kind of press title. great men, he can be problematic. How do you see him and how do you rate him within the sort of history? Uh, yeah, I think um, his Imperial Majesty and perhaps Lassie the first, um, you know, is a towering figure, um, whether it's um, on an international level, whether it's within Africa, um, also whether it's within Ethiopia. Um, you know, I think in terms of uh, helping to modernize Ethiopia through um, promoting education, um, 
I, I think his imperial majesty is second to none in terms of doing that. Um, you know, he came to power at a very difficult um, time, um, you know, but was able to accomplish uh, a lot uh, based on what, 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 you know, based on the, the, the challenges that were before him, right? And so um, even prior to uh, being emperor, he helped Ethiopia gain access to the League of Nations. So Ethiopia was a, was a member of the League of Nations um, where his Imperial Majesty appealed to 1936 when, when Ethiopia was, was attacked a second time by fascist Italy. Uh, you know, he was a huge advocate of, of peace and collective security, denuclearization in, in the UN of which Ethiopia was actually a founding member. Um, so I, I think um, the emperor, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he helped write Ethiopia, the, the first constitution, for example. The, the first constitution was written during his imperial majesty's time as well. And so I think, although people may, may have different perspectives, um, I think in, in retrospect, um, and during the, the time he was in power, I think people are, are, are very much fond of what he was able to accomplish um, during such difficult times of adversity and challenge. So is he, amongst the diaspora that you, you live among and know, is he a unifying figure or is he divisive in some ways or, or is this changing? No, I, I, I'm proud to say he's a unifying figure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the organization of African unity now called African unity is, is testament to that. I mean, it was because of his Imperial Majesty's leadership that, you know, the OAU was able to, to be established, right? And I think even beyond, um, you know, an African identity, his Imperial Majesty also advocated for, for unity amongst all people, right? And um, I think, uh, he, you know, he, he, when asked, for example, he, you know, where he, you know, if he was, if he was a Negro, if he was Black, if he was, he said, we're all one, you know, there's only one human race and, and you know, we should be guided by you know, such, such uh, tenets of, of, of humanity, you know. Um, and so I think uh, the emperor was, was very much a unifier um, within his own country as well, um, and within Africa and, and throughout the world. Can you tell us about this organization, Selassie Stand Up? When did you, when did you get that together? Sure. So um, Selassie Stand Up was established officially in 2013. Um, in 2012, uh, the Chinese government gave $200 million to African leaders to build a new building uh, to house the, the meetings uh, of the African Union. And so in that, uh, they built a big uh, building, but they left out a statue of Emperor Addis Last There was one of Kwame Nkrumah, and knowing the emperor's role um, throughout the 60s in, in bringing the, the two various factions, the Monorvia group, the Casablanca group, who were, who were opposed philosophically in terms of how the organization of African unity should be uh, developed. It really was Emperor, right, who brought them together and, and basically um, was able to, to forge the unity and, and to establish the African unity. And so I felt that the politicians of the day from the Ethiopian side prevented a statue of his majesty from being built. And so when I went to Ethiopia initially, uh, I was trying to work with the Veterans Association, the Patriots Association there. They are under the control of the uh, the government and didn't, although they believed that a statue of Zemachi should be built, they weren't necessarily willing to 
to kind of work with me jointly. And so after different experiences, I said, you know what, I think I should just start this up on my own. So I created Selassie Stand Up. Um, I wrote an article back in May 2013. It was covered, uh, picked up by all um, Ethiopian organizations, really laying out why the emperor is deserving of a statue. Two, two days later, um, the president, the then president of, of Ethiopia, who also served under his imperial majesty, responded in favor and in support of our call for action. And he said the emperor is deserving of a statue. I was then later contacted by Voice of America. I did an interview, you know, again, advocating and, and articulating the reasons why his majesty was deserving. Um, there was an online petition. Um, you know, I, I essentially launched a pan-African organization lobbying various African governments. I, I wrote to every African president member state within the African Union and, you know, also put pressure on the Ethiopian government, which eventually led to uh, the statue being being built and erected uh, with members of the uh, imperial family there for the inauguration. Well, uh, I think this might be a good time to take another song. Neb's next choice is Bob Marley's War, which needs no further introduction. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned well everywhere is war this your war and until there's no longer first class nor second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance to the color of his eyes I've got to say war and until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race this your war cause until that day the dream of lasting peace world citizenship and the rule of international morality will remaining but a fleeting illusion to be pursued but never attained well everywhere is war this your war yeah, good, just loud and proud. His Majesty's words to the to the United Nations in 1961. 63. Oh, sorry, I'm not a historian. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. Even a lot of Ethiopians are are not aware of what His Majesty, you know, actually uh, accomplished. I mean, from uh, getting access to the League of Nations, being the sole representative of Ethiopia on the international stage, and uh, by virtue of that, representing being a de facto representative of Africa was significant. You know, the emperor helped support liberation movements throughout Africa. Um, he sent troops, right, to Congo, over 3,000 troops, you know, to help fight for uh, the liberation um, of Congo. The Biafra crisis in, you know, in, in the western part of Africa, his imperial majesty, you know, um, was a significant player in, in, in um, uh, negotiating uh, peace treaties and accords. The same thing in Sudan as well. Um, in Morocco and Algeria, I mean, border disputes, uh, he helped through the African Union, um, he helped resolve major, major um, conflicts, you know, um, on an international stage as well. Um, the emperor sent over 6,000 troops to Korea to fight against communism, you know, and so 
the emperor's contributions really to collective security, to global peace, to unity, um, they're unmatched. In the 1950s, he had a Pan-African scholarship, for example, right? Where various, in, in, in Haida Selassie University, where people from various African countries on scholarship came to get an education. I, I mean, at that time, um, given the resources uh, that existed, it's, it's, it's unbelievable really to, to really um, fathom that, he, that the emperor would, would be able to accomplish all that he did. So I'm really interested, when you wrote to the leaders of other African countries suggesting a statue of his imperial majesty outside the African Union, what was their response? No, the, the response was very um, positive. In fact, um, you know, the, the, most of the, the, the discourse I had was through the organization of African unity. And so, you know, I understand the political sensitivities, but the response was that th this was initially the wish of African leaders. Um, and in fact, I said, I'm not quite sure how, if this was an oversight, you know, I know that the, the Chinese were heavily involved in terms of providing the financial resources. Um, perhaps this was an oversight um, and they actually left and they said, I don't think so. And they essentially said it was the wish of the, of the Ethiopian government, the then Ethiopian government, um, who, uh, who, was, who, who, who blocked the actual um, construction of the statue for his majesty and who also were, were for the past six seven years when i was advocating for a statue to be, to be built were, were, were blocking um, the selassie stand-up movement as well Thabo Mbeki, president of south africa the former president of south africa was very very supportive in fact um, he actually made uh, various speeches within ethiopia um, and in south africa as well at pan-african conferences in terms of the the, the saliency of building statues um, remembering the legacy referencing on Permanent Lick and the Battle of Adwa. Um, so there was, there was support. The Ghanaians were also very supportive as well. You know, I think in my, in my discourse actually with, with, um, with the Ethiopian government, well, the Ethiopian government themselves, actually, I can tell you, I got a call from a former ambassador who now is a political advisor to um, Abiy Ahmed, the, the current prime minister of Ethiopia. He told me he was unable to put to, to, to submit his endorsement in writing on behalf of the Ethiopian government, but that personally he supported the project. Uh, you know, that, that kind of helped actually kind of, it, it helped me actually build the momentum that, that I needed. Um, and, and I would say the diaspora was very helpful as well. I mean, I went to New York City, I was promoting um, heavily in, in, in Brooklyn where there's a large Caribbean and Rastafarian population as well. Um, you know, every Sunday there's a drummer's grove and people kind of, you know, congregate there. And I went there just promoting the initiative and they said, you know, we support you, but we also want a statue of his imperial majesty right here in Prospect Park in Brooklyn, New York. And then one guy said, we want one in the United Nations, you know, and said, we need to expand this. And so, I mean, the, the, the love and the support I received was, was, was very encouraging um, and supportive. Although, you know, the, the main uh, people that were blocking at the, at the time, uh, actually, unfortunately, was the Ethiopian government. I raised no funds whatsoever. So what happened actually was um, I personally financed it. Um, and uh, the Ethiopian government, after getting the petition, you know, uh, thousands of people to sign the petition, you know, having, you know, engaged with the AU, the Ethiopian government, given the change in power, intervened. And more or less, I think it would be fair to say hijacked the process. So so, so formally, the, the, the motion came from President Ado of Ghana within the AU. And so one of the things I was telling the Ethiopian government was that, you know, it's a privilege to have the organization of African unity within Ethiopia. And so efforts to 
disassociate the emperor from that history, you know, comes with, with, with consequences or could potentially come with consequences, right? Because various African countries, you know, Gaddafi, for example, made several efforts throughout the 60s and 70s to get the OAU to come to Libya. And if you have a statue of Kwame Nkrumah, while we support President Kwame Nkrumah for being a great Pan-African leader, I mean, he's someone who is deserving of the recognition and respect. Um, you know, the effort wasn't to say he wasn't, but you can't deny the most formative and key player and de deprive that person of due recognition. You know, and so I said the Ghanaians, you know, future generations may say, look, you know, the contributions of the Ghanaians under Kwame Nkrumah were much larger than that of, of any other member nation. And so we want the, the, the AU to relocate to Ghana, to Accra. And so, I mean, this would have devastating consequences on the Ethiopian economy. And I think that kind of perked the interest of government officials. And so um, from that time, you know, you, you kind of see a heightened uh, uh, interest, uh, even by the prime minister, Abiy himself, um, you know, who is kind of using the African Union now um, as a vehicle to engage in, in, in um, international relations, whether it's on the GERD, the, the, the you know, the, the, the hydroelectric dam, that's a that's, uh, project that's, that's quite contentious. Um, uh, many people wanted that negotiation to happen to the United Nations. The position of the Ethiopian government was for that to be negotiated through the AU. Um, you know, so on many fronts, um, you know, even with the war that broke out, the AU uh, between the, the Tigrayan forces and the, um, the Ethiopian military, you know, the AU was being looked at as a potential uh, mediating entity. And so I think the Selassie stand-up effort has actually helped to create a bridge between Ethiopian government that has been divided along ethnic lines um, since 1991 up to this point, um, we're kind of seeing a resurgence of this pan-African and, and, uh, and, and pro-Ethiopian sentiment, which we hope to, to uh, continue. So do you feel your work is done with Stand Up Selassie? Uh, I, think, I think it will continue. In fact, um, in, in the near future, and I haven't actually publicly expressed this, but you know, maybe it will be publicly announced now on your, on your radio program. It's an exclusive um, stand back business. I'm, I'm looking to propose to build a statue of Emperor Minilik uh, and impress Aito along with all the generals, you know, including uh, Ras Makonnen and Pradis Lassie's father in Adwa, where the actual war happened. And, you know, the, the, you know, ideally we would want a museum to be built as well that would, um, you know, educate the next generation. Um, and then the, the, the other proposal is for that territory to come under the auspice of the federal government. So here in, in, in America, we have, you know, Arlington Cemetery, which is under the auspice of the federal government. And so we would uh, be advocating for the same. And I would be doing this through Selassie Stand Up. I'll be maybe doing business as uh, I'm permitted to stand up. You know, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> why, why, do you want the, why do you want the federal government rather than, you know, the state government to be in charge? Well, well right now, the, 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 the country is divided along ethnic lines. Um, and so there is anti-Ethiopian sentiment that's being propagated by um, the, the, what's now more or less a defunct Tigray People's Liberation Front. And I think, you know, the, the Adwa, even though the battle occurred in Adwa, it really is truly representative of um, all of, 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 of it's, it's an Ethiopian and an African victory even beyond that, right? And so I think it's important for the, the federal government to really have oversight um, and, to, and, and, to, and to partake in that, in that um, 
you know, in that, um, in, in creating that type of recognition um, for, uh, for a battle that deserves um, recognition and attention on, uh, on a national and international level. You may have heard uh, the sad news that recently um, sectarian strife in Ethiopia did come to Britain and that a, a statue of his Imperial Majesty was destroyed in a park in Wimbledon. So un undoing, I suppose, some of the good work that, uh, that you and others have been doing. Yes, um, it's very unfortunate. Um, you know, again, this is the type of anti-Ethiopian, really anti-human, to be honest with you, sentiment that was fostered over the past 27 years in a nation that um, unfortunately comes from a very rich history, but, but put that history to the wayside um, since 1974 forward and, um, you know, introduced uh, this, this nasty and ugly side of politics that, that, you know, we're unfortunately, you know, paying for up to this day. And so uh, right after the inauguration of the Emperor's Statue in the African Union, the day after, in, in, in horror, a bust of Rasmakonin, uh was was destroyed, and they said, "Oh, a car hit it by mistake." Uh, whether it's coincidental or not, I mean, it's it's um, it's highly questionable, right? And then there was a late, there was an equestrian statue that um, recently was was demolished, and it was constructed by um, the late uh, Lord Major Artist Afor Katakli, who who was um, you know. A renowned artist, um, you know, on, on, a, on a worldwide scale, um, you know, and so the, the, the statue of Wimbledon as well, um, you know, is a continuation of this anti-Ethiopian, anti-African sentiment that that unfortunately exists and that will need to be changed through um, education um, and uh, and uh, and over time. I think I think it's it's unfortunate, but you know statues, we can reconstruct them. But I think what's more important really is instilling the level of um, consciousness that that should exist um, uh, and, and human decency that, that really should, should exist among, among people. Um, so it's gonna be a challenge, but you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get there. Well, um, <clears throat> well, you seem to have recognized in some, uh, particularly in the, the, this last part of the, uh, the interview uh, that there's some conflict and there's some differences between um, uh, how people regard the legacy of the emperor. Um, I can feel your overwhelming uh, support and love for him. Do you harbor dreams of a time when uh, the monarchy will be restored? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Ethiopia, you know, is, is that is at the crossroads, you know, right now. Um, you know, it's just getting over uh, a war. In fact, people are saying the war technically isn't over. Um, every nation state right now in Ethiopia that's ethnically divided has the right to self-determination. Um, they can exercise the options to secede from the union. I mean, this is how the constitution was constructed. The Ethiopian constitution itself states, we the people, nations, and nationalities of Ethiopia. You, know, you don't know if you're reading the UN Charter or if you're reading, you know, the Constitution of a Nation State, um, because you have now there's this multi this, this notion that there there's a multiplicity of nations and nationalities, which is very divisive, and everything that was implemented after the um, monarchy was abolished was to dismantle Ethiopian state, 
And so what we see now really is a continuation of what uh, the fascist, the then fascist Italian government was trying to impose upon Ethiopia. And so now you have what, what I would call black Mussolini's running around the country, or you did up to the point now. Now Ethiopia is still kind of in this transition where there is a, a promising leader who, who I think whose rhetoric reflects the greatness that Ethiopia was, but who has inherited uh, a very divisive and backward system that he will need to, that he'll need to um, really undo and, and uh, you know, more power to him. Uh, but I think, you know, Ethiopia will be whole if the monarchy can return in a way that is palatable for, for the Ethiopian people. Um, you know, and so the emperor was on that trajectory. Um, you know, there were two amendments, you know, that were made to the constitution. I mean, again, during, during his, his time, um, you know, from the time the constitution was written in 1930 to the, the amendments that were made in 1955, you know, I think Ethiopia was transitioning towards being constitutional monarchy on the basis of, 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 a, of, of a democracy. So I think, you know, you can have a democratic governance system without this, you know, with the, the presence of a constitutional monarchy like, you know, what exists in, in England and, and uh, other parts, uh, other countries throughout the world. So I, I think so. I think Ethiopia would would be whole again if the monarchy can, you know, return to its uh, rightful place. So you've picked um, a song which is praising his Imperial Majesty, yeah. Emperor Haile Selassie. When, when you hear praise for him, do you see him praised as an eminent man, uh, as an emperor appointed by God, as a sort of statesman, father of Africa? Or do you see him as, as a messiah and as Jah reincarnated? Um, so I would say the, for me, the, the former. But for, for many other, I would, I would, I would, I would think it's, it's, it's both, you know, um, or perhaps someone will say that the latter. But, you know, all the emperors, they, they bore the title elect of God, um, you know, king of kings, conquering the line of the tribe of Judah. So this is the, the, the title. Um, you know, so I think the song that, that you all hear really praises the emperor for, for more or less being not only the emperor, but almost like a godfather, right? Like a, like a fatherly figure for Ethiopians and for um, for all uh, for all people in general.
ለተለከት ያንድ ህዝብ እና ተብየህብረት ማሰሪያ ጥቅ ሐረግ ነው እንደቃላማችን አንጓዴ ቢጫና ቀይ ሶስት ቀለማት ናቸው ሳላቸውም አንጓዴው ተስፋ ለምላሜና ጫው ሃይማኖት አባባና ፍሬ ቀዩ ፍቅር መስዋዕትነትና ጀግንነት ነው When does that date from that track? Yeah, so I mean the song is I would say it's been around since like the 1950s but they it was sort of remixed um I would say maybe 15 20 years ago. Okay, so a popular song of 20 years ago but uh, which would have been outside Ethiopia I guess at that time because I guess you you wouldn't be a very popular musician if you were making that track inside Ethiopia. Right, correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but right. the, the the lyrics to the song it, it's kind of a combination of various songs um and so the one talks about the emperor um you know it's like ethiopia like sort of the land of milk and honey you know and they talk about the emperor kind of um filling that role as as a father and then it kind of transitions to talking about the the ethiopian flag the green yellow and red flag and what that symbolizes um for ethiopians um you know for 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 africans in general so Neb, your work isn't done you're you're planning more statues in future. What, what do you see as the future role of Haile Selassie's legacy in Ethiopia and, and and for the rest of us? Yeah, I mean, I think the emperor's legacy now, you know, thank God, is being uh, more and more respected within the country. I think the political space has now opened up, allowing for, um, you know, for such history to be recognized, taught, and appreciated. Uh, the prime minister renovated Emperor Menelik's palace, for example, um, which Emperor Selassie also uh, lived in and, and, and worked um, uh, in as well. And a lot of the personal belongings of the emperor were put on display, including his cars that were given as gifts um, and, and various other personal belongings, really showcasing the rich and vibrant um, you know, culture and history that we have. Um, you know, I should also thank the Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed also for even being supportive of uh, the Selassie stand-up project as well. Um, although he was somewhat in a political quagmire, he wasn't able to, to even give a speech during the inauguration. Um, whether that's due to time or other political calculations, you know, I think time will tell. Um, perhaps, you know, there'll be a point where the Prime Minister himself will will uh, give an explanation in terms of why he wasn't able to give a speech, why he wasn't able to greet the royal family himself when we were all assembled there. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I think there is uh, progress. And I think if if the necessary support is given, um, you know, uh, there'll be more opportunities to, to respect uh, 
promote and teach the legacy of His Imperial Majesty and Pride Selassie. So are you familiar with his legacy to our community here in Bath in the West of England? I am, I am, to, to, to more or less. Um, you know, have, you visit, I, I, have you visited us ever? Have you ever been to this part of the world? I have. I have multiple times. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make to make it to, to, to Fairfield House, you know. Um, but uh, I have spent uh, some time in London uh, when I was younger. Um, so I'm overdue for, uh, for a visit. But I, I know, um, you know, uh, Queen of England um, was very uh, gracious. Um, and uh, the people of Great Britain as well in terms of... Uh, you know, offering support throughout the duration of the emperor's stay um, uh, while he was in exile for, for the five years. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think the emperor uh, very graciously, um, you know, gifted the, the, the home he, he, he was staying in, um, you know, as a sign of his uh, great respect um, and as a sign of friendship as well to, uh, uh, to the Queen and to the people of Great Britain, yeah. Well, um, I was just going to say that William probably had said, but we um, are trying to um, elevate the status of um, Fairfield House. How would you be able to, or could you help us to, you know, in our journey to restoring the house and to putting it on um, the international calendar, global calendar? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's definitely- Or map. Sure, sure. Um, yes, uh, I would be more than happy to help in any capacity, um, you know, uh, whether it's through Selassie Stand Up or through other avenues. Um, I think efforts that help to restore the legacy, um, you know, right? I mean, in order to teach, we need to at least preserve, you know, what we have inherited, right, and maintain it. And so we see an, an imminent need for that within Ethiopia, within other places as well, right? And so I think uh, to the extent I can give any support, I would be willing to, to help promote the cause um, through various uh, social media channels, um, even helping organize the Ethiopian community around this effort um, and the larger uh, African population, Caribbean population as well. Um, you know, and so, I mean, efforts in the past have been, have been, have been made um, to, to raise funds, I know, um, through the Ethiopian government, not necessarily for, for, for Fairfield House in particular, but the prime minister created a diaspora trust fund. In fact, my sister um, is, is appointed as uh, is an appointee on that. Um, you know, and the, the, the charge was $1 a day, you know, can, can go so far, you know, to build um, schools, you know, to help bring clean uh, access to, 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 you know, to, to help, you know, bring access to clean drinking water in, in remote villages, um, you know, and, and extending it really, if we, if we kind of tap into what the diaspora really values, I think, you know, a lot of us are connected to our history and really want to see the, the, the history of Ethiopia being respected. And so to the extent these efforts kind of tie back to that, I think we can also expand um, and create an effort to, to allocate funds to go towards those purposes. Because I mean, all the destruction, the infighting we're seeing in many ways um, has a direct correlation to not being educated properly in terms of, um, you know, like knowing our history, um, really understanding it. Um, you know, I mean, there was a concerted effort to actually distort Ethiopian history. So I think 
efforts that actually accurately convey and teach the history can help bring about peace, the, the, the desired peace and unity that's so crucial for prosperity, uh, democracy, unity, uh, peace, etc. So um, any effort, I'm, I'm more than willing to, to help support. You must have a hell of an address book after the work you've done. <laughs> and I must say, sort of raising profile, making connections, these, these are all extremely helpful things. Well, that's wonderful. We really salute your achievement in getting a statue to His Imperial Majesty set up outside the African Union. It's such a huge, strong, symbolic gesture. Well done. Thank you. Well I done indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it was, it was uh, taxing, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, six, seven years. I mean, the only thing I was promoting on social media was pictures of the emperor to the point where I was jamming everyone's social, you know, social media and, and uh, relentlessly, you know, um, advocating. I had a, you know, like a DVD I created. I have T-shirts I made. Um, I was running out booths, you know, promoting the, the initiative at various Ethiopian functions. And, you know, we had a group of socialists who were challenging me saying, you know, why should we build a statue of the emperor? There are more pressing issues. And then, you know, I had to communicate the value of the history and talk about the pressing issues we're facing now being tied back to us not actually respecting um, the history and valuing our own history, you know. And so we really have to make amends by going back in history to the point of derailment um, is how I would call it, um, you know, from 1974. What, what happened? What could we have done to prevent that you know, those dark days from happening and, and what can we do differently? And let's kind of go back um, with the thought of, you know, bringing uh, um, positive change, unity, peace to Ethiopia. So did anyone say thank you? Did oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 I was actually invited by the Imperial family um, to, to attend. Um, so there was, you know, I was invited uh, and, and sat amongst the 25 members of the royal family. The Ethiopian government, as I said, um, even though they were very much aware of uh, what I was doing and they very much know the, the, my, my, my family in particular as well, um, based on the, the contributions and role that we, we, we play, whether it's within the diaspora or, or back within the country, um, you know, uh, were let's just say they were supportive of, of, of the cause, but I think the, the efforts of Selassie stand up basically um, forced the hand of those that may have not, um, uh, that probably wouldn't have acted um, in absence of such an initiative. So, so we're appreciative for all those who, who, um, who approved and supported the effort uh, ultimately in one way or another. Well, thank you very, very much, Neb. It's been enlightening, it's been inspiring. Um, and definitely, I, I'm sure you would be an invaluable um, uh, asset to our attempts to, you know, re-establish re, um, Fairfield House and, uh, you know, give it its proper place in world history. Thank you again. And uh, you. I'd like to say, I'm Tosni Onileri. I'm William Heath. Stay tuned to Imperial Voice. <laughs>